few of the elders and some of the men from the training center spent the week at Shepherd's Conference, and that was an encouragement to our souls, but it also means, uh, I think it's a church holiday, that that means the associate pastor preaches the Sunday afterwards. So uh, with that, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 63. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 567. Psalm 63, and let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'll read this psalm its entirety. Father God, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you for the work of Christ on the cross, that we are free indeed. And Father, as we come to your word now, Lord, may you, through your spirit, encourage our hearts Lord, may you cause us, like David, to, to thirst after God. Lord, may your words strengthen us, edify us, encourage us, and convict us. Give us grace, Lord. Give us ears to hear and to apply these words to our lives for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Psalm 63, and I'm going to read it in its entirety before we dive in. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Well, in his famous book, The Confessions, Augustine wrote this. Our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. In this short sentence, Augustine summed up his entire testimony. He desired satisfaction. He felt restless, and that restlessness compelled him to chase after the pleasures of the world, to find satisfaction in, in anything and everything he could get his hands on. At age 16, Augustine left his home for Carthage, and a year later he began a nearly 15-year romantic relationship with a woman who was not his wife. Longing for satisfaction, he tried whatever he could, but, but longing, but that longing was never satisfied. His soul was still thirsty. 
And so he began to search for satisfaction in philosophy. He moved to Milan, and, and during his time there, as a teacher of rhetoric, was seeking for philosophy and for skills of oratory. And in God's providence, he, he stumbled upon a church service to listen to a preacher named Ambrose who, who was known for his skill in preaching. There for the wrong motives, there to, to learn oratory. God in his providence used those sermons to prick Augustine's heart. And then one day while sitting under a tree, he heard some children nearby say, pick up and read, pick up and read, pick up and read. And Augustine took that as if it, if it came from God. And so he found his Bible and he opened its pages and he began to read. And God removed the blinders from Augustine's eyes. As a, as a result, he, he understood the gospel and he believed See, after seeking satisfaction in everything the world had to offer, Augustine found his satisfaction in God and God alone. Where do you seek satisfaction? What is it that you are pursuing? Because every day we are seeking satisfaction. Every day we're pursuing someone or, or something in hopes that we'll find satisfaction and contentment. Right? And as believers, we understand that we're to find our ultimate satisfaction in Christ. And yet, if, if, if we're honest with ourselves we frequently find ourselves pursuing satisfaction in other things. And when the, the circumstances of our life do not meet our expectations, when our desires are, are not met, we, dissatisfaction creeps into our lives. Right? Whatever situation, whatever the circumstances, we often find ourselves in events where the situation does not match our expectations. Where we have unmet desires when the situation is outside of our control and yet we're seeking satisfaction. We're seeking fulfillment. And in our text this morning, David finds himself in, in a similar situation. And the question is, what do we do when the events of our lives do not meet our expectations? When we have unsatisfied desires or when difficulty comes our way and everything is out of our control, where do we find our satisfaction? In our text this morning, we're instructed to, to set unmet expectations and unfulfilled desires aside and to find our satisfaction in God and God alone, to make him the primary focus of our attention and to delight in him. Psalm 63, according to the title, was written by David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And while it was undoubtedly sandy, this was no vacation. Verse 9 tells us in Psalm 63 that David's enemies were seeking to destroy his life. And if being in a situation once where someone is seeking to kill you, that's bad enough, but there were actually two times in the life of David when he found himself fleeing into the wilderness, running for his life. The first time you, you might remember was when David found himself running from King Saul. 
1 Samuel 16, David is anointed king, but he's, he's not yet king. He's not yet on the throne. Saul was. And so Saul, wanting to eliminate David as a, as a rival to his throne, Saul orders his son Jonathan and his servants to kill David. And so as a result, in 1 Samuel 19 to 31, David finds himself fleeing in the wilderness. And then the second time in David's life, the deja vu, if you will, of, of David running for his life in the wilderness was when he fled from his own son Absalom. Second Samuel chapters 15 to, to 19, Absalom planned a coup against his father. He won the hearts of the men of Israel, even down to some of David's closest advisors. And when he had enough support, he launched a military revolt. And David, in response, flees to the wilderness. And what helps us to discern between these two events, as to the, the context, as to the situation of when David writes this psalm, is found in verse 11. David says, but the king shall rejoice in God. David refers to himself in verse 11 as king, and it, it points to the time when, when Absalom, rather than Saul, was chasing David into the wilderness of Judah. And it's during this time in David's life, when his son is threatening to kill him and take over the kingdom, that David pens this psalm as a fugitive in the wilderness. As he writes this psalm, David's circumstances are dire. He's not sitting in, in the palace enjoying kingly comforts and royal delicacies. He's on the run for his life, and his future is uncertain. And yet, as one commentator has said, the worst has brought out David's best in this psalm. See, the incredible thing about Psalm 63 is we do not find a single request from David. He makes no petition to God whatsoever. There is longing, there is gladness, there is praise, there is communion, but there is no request. Instead, David passionately pursues God to find satisfaction in God alone. So this morning, I, I want us to learn from the pen of David. I want to glean from his heart in the midst of a difficult circumstance. So this morning in Psalm 63, we'll see three characteristics of David's passionate pursuit of God so that we too might seek satisfaction, that we might seek God passionately and find our satisfaction in God alone. And the first characteristic of a passionate pursuit of God is a desire for God. A passionate pursuit of God is characterized by a desire for God. And we see this in the first four verses. In verse 1, David identifies his desire. O God, you are my God. The object of David's desire is God and God alone. In verse 1, he says, look at it. Earnestly, I seek you. My flesh faints for you. David's desire is for God. And even within this desire, we see four aspects of David's desire that we can learn from. Notice first that David's desire is personal. 
David does not address God as a, as a distant creator, but rather as one with whom he is intimately acquainted. David is not talking about God. David is talking to God. If you like grammar, it's the abundant use of personal pronouns in this psalm which highlights that connection, that close relationship between David and God. He calls God my God. It's covenant language and it's used throughout the Bible to describe the relationship between God and his people. We see it in the Old Testament. In Ruth chapter 1, you'll remember that Naomi is urging uh, her daughter-in-law to leave her. But in verse 16, Ruth replies, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And we see it throughout the Old Testament, in the, in the New Covenant, in, in Ezekiel 36, and Jeremiah chapter 31. We see this language of, of my people and my God. In the New Testament, John chapter 20, Jesus uh, appears to the disciples after the resurrection. And Thomas, you remember, says to Jesus in verse 28, My Lord and my God. And as Christians, as partakers of the new covenant, we have a personal relationship with God. And you can call upon God and say, My God. And this morning, do not miss this incredible point because this is good news for sinners like you and me that because of Jesus, because of the gospel, we can call God my God. Right? Through faith in Christ, we're, we're brought into the family of God. Enemies have become friends. We've become sons and daughters of God. And now we have the privilege to approach God's throne with praise and petition, we get to start our day by saying, God, you are my God. And so even as we begin this morning, if you look at that, if you hear those words and you say, I don't have a relationship like that, call out to him this morning. Run to God for the forgiveness of your sins so that you too, an enemy of God, may become a child of God, that you too may call on God and say, you are my God. And dear believer, may we never let familiarity breed contempt in our relationship with God. We get to approach him each day we get to approach the creator of the universe. We get to approach the sovereign king and say, my God, my God, here are my requests. My God, here is my heart poured out before you. And that's what David does. And so David, seeking God while running from his son, says, oh God, you are my God. And notice that he's, he's not asking for temporary protection. He, he's not asking for comfort. Rather, he is seeking God. David wants God and he wants God alone. 
David does not seek relief in the end of his difficulties, but in God. He's seeking God in the midst of his distress rather than a change of his circumstances. His desire is for God. What lessons can, can we learn from, from these opening words of, of King David? Commentator Alan Ross says it this way. He says, when adverse situations threaten to overtake the people of God, they can rely on the simple truth that the living God is their God and they are his people. We learn from Psalm 63 that when dissatisfaction and the sorrows of life come our way, our recourse, your recourse, dear Christian, is to pursue God. Right? When difficulty comes upon David, what does he do? He goes to God in prayer, and that's so instructive for us. Where do we turn when the difficulties of life come upon us? When the circumstances around us change for the worst, our response, like David's, is to passionately pursue the God with whom we have a relationship. But not only is this desire personal, it's also preeminent. Look at verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Remember, David's in the desert. He's in a dry and a weary land with, with no water. He's running for his life. And what is the first thing on his mind? His first thought is not, you know what, I could really use a glass of water. It's not, you know what, I really could use some Chick-fil-A. It's closed on Sunday. It's not, how do I get back on my throne? It's not, Lord, what is going on with this situation? No, his preeminent desire is for God. Verse 1, earnestly I seek you. If you're using the, the King James or the New King James Bible, they translate this word as early. The idea is that David's act of seeking God is preeminent. It's his highest priority. It's the first thing on his checklist. And it's not so much about the time as it is about the importance. David seeks God above and before anything else. And dear believer, this should be the pattern of our lives as well. Right? When life gets busy, when trials come our way, do we forsake the God who gives us breath? Because we don't think we have enough time to commune with him. Or because we don't think that it's as important as whatever else is before us. Or despite our tough circumstances, or maybe even in light of them, do we earnestly seek after God? And so, like David, do we have a preeminent desire for God? So David's desire for God is personal and it's preeminent, but see also that it's powerful. Look again at verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. 
Here, David draws on his surroundings. He, he's using the imagery of, of thirsting and fainting and longing. He's in the desert, and he's using his external conditions as an illustration for the current state of his soul. He's thirsty for God. Now, unlike David, we have an abundant access to water. I hail from Minnesota. It's the land of 10,000 lakes. You can trip and fall into a lake. Here in Southern California, we recently have received a lot of water in the form of rain, and that other stuff is called snow. <laughs> and then on top of all of that, you can simply walk into a grocery store and grab from dozens upon dozens of different water bottle options. I mean, you can choose the color of the plastic or you can even get glass. In fact, according to Google, there are over 16 different water bottle companies in the U.S. and over 116 worldwide. We don't lack water. But if you've ever found yourself dehydrated or in a context where it's extremely warm and you are thirsty, then you know what the consuming desire of water feels like. And likewise, David says his thirst for God is all-consuming. You look at verse 1, and this combination between his soul and his flesh is all-consuming. It highlights that David's desire for God is an all-consuming passion for God. His desire for God matches the power and the intensity of the feeling you get when you're thirsty or you're dehydrated. You just want Water And David here says that his soul could no more live without God than his body could live without water. Is your desire for God powerful? Is it all consuming? Is it a, is it a strong desire? Is your desire for God more than your desire for water itself? So a passionate pursuit of God is characterized by a desire that is personal, that's preeminent, that's powerful. But notice, fourth and finally, that this desire is provoked. This desire is provoked. What's the, the catalyst for this intense desire for God in verse 1? We'll look at verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. David's thoughts turned to a time when he was satisfied in the past. He remembers a time worshiping God in the sanctuary. At that time, the, the temple had not yet been built. So he remembers a time worshiping God in the tabernacle and being overwhelmed with the attributes of God, namely, verse 2, his power and his glory. He remembers a time where his spiritual needs were met when he looked upon God in the sanctuary. Notice this, David. David seeks what he thinks will satisfy him. David's seeks 
what he thinks will satisfy him. And that is true of us as well. We seek what we think will satisfy us. And so this morning, my question for you is, what are you seeking satisfaction in? Each day, what what is that thing that you're seeking satisfaction in? Where do you look for satisfaction? And the constant message of the Bible is that God and God alone will satisfy our thirsty souls. Only God will satisfy this thirst depicted in verse 1. Nothing else will do. No other created thing will satisfy. Only the creator of the universe will satisfy thirsty souls. And Jesus understood this truth. John chapter 4, when he's talking to the woman at the well, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Friends, it is God alone that satisfies our souls. It is in Jesus Christ alone that your soul can be satisfied. If you are seeking satisfaction in, in anything else, turn to Jesus Believer, if if you're seeking satisfaction in anything else, then run from your idolatry. Repent of what you are focusing on and turn to the Lord for your satisfaction. Oh, and if if you don't know this satisfaction, if you're here and you've never never come to understand this satisfaction, oh, remember Oh, see that this satisfaction is offered freely in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you do not know the Lord, that that you, if you, like Augustine, have been searching for satisfaction in all this world can offer, then please, I plead with you to run to Christ for satisfaction. Oh, remember what Jesus says in John chapter 7. Jesus invites each person this morning to find their satisfaction in him. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This morning, turn to the Lord, run to Jesus and find satisfaction in his power and his glory. And as David remembers who God is, as he remembers beholding the power and the glory of God, it leads him to praise. Look at verses 3 and 4. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. As David reflects on the power and the glory of God, he praises God. He comes before God and he worships. And notice that that David's worship here, it involves the entirety of our being. The, the Psalms are so instructive to our own worship as to how we can worship God being satisfied in him alone. David says, my lips 
will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. David's worship involves the entirety of his being. It's more than simply reading the lyrics off a screen or mumbling the lyrics. David here is praising and extolling his God. Look at it. Verse 3, he worships God with his lips. Verse 5, he worships God with his mouth and with joyful lips. And not only that, he, he worships God with his body. Verse 4, he, he worships God by lifting up his hands. Or maybe more con contemporarily by putting his hands in his pockets. But notice this, he's worshiping with, with all of his being. He's satisfied in God and, and out of the outflow of his heart, whatever that may be, he's praising the Lord. And while this outward expression of David's praise isn't primary, it's worth noting. It's the outflow of uh, his, his heart. One commentator said it's simply an outward expression of an uplifted heart. David here is expressing his dependence and his love upon the Lord. He's lifting up his hands in worship. My son is 18 months old. And one of my favorite things he does is he walks over to me and he puts up his hands and he says, Up oh, please. Right? And in that moment, what's he communicating? He's communicating his love, he's communicating his dependence, and he's communicating his desire to be a few feet taller. Right? And as, as a parent, you, you cherish that now because you know that that request for up, please, will soon be replaced with a request for your car keys. <laughs> And so David worships the Lord by, by putting his hands in the air, by expressing his love and his dependence for God. And why was David's worship so fully engaged? Because of what he valued. Look at verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Worship reflects what we value. Worship reflects what we consider to be precious. And God is so precious to David. He believed that God's covenant-keeping love was better than physical life itself. David found God's love to be, to be sweet and to be satisfying, and he meditated upon it as if it was his greatest treasure. Oh, dear Christian, is God's love sweet to you? As New Testament believers, we have an even more excellent display of God's love for us in the cross. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christian, treasure the love of God this morning. Remember that Jesus loves you. Remember that God loves you, not because of anything that you have done, not because you've pursued him enough, but remember that he loves you and that he set his grace upon you despite who you were. 
that when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he made you alive. This morning, can you say with David that God's steadfast love is better than life? Do you treasure that more than anything else? David did, and, and how can you tell if God's steadfast love is better to you than life? The answer is your life will be marked by verse 4. Verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. If God's loving kindness is better to you than life, then your life will be marked by praise. As long as he gives you breath, as long as we're able to get out of the bed in the morning, we're to praise God because his loving kindness is better than life. And remember, David is saying this in the wilderness. David is saying this in the trial of his life. He says, no matter what is going on, no matter what happens to me, God's loving kindness is better than life. They can take my life, they can take the throne, but they cannot take the love of God for me. Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so we see in verses 1 to 4 that this passionate pursuit of God is characterized by a desire for God. But then in verses 5 to 8, we see that a passionate pursuit of God is characterized by a delight in God. In verse 5, there's a satisfied soul. The desire that he had in verse 1 is fulfilled in verse 5. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. The Legacy Standard Bible translates verse 5, my soul is satisfied. The, the longing we see in the first stanza comes to a fulfillment in verse 5. And in verses 1 to 4, we see a picture of, of desolation in the wilderness. But now, in verses 5 to 8, we see a sumptuous feast, as one author called it. Verse 5 is dry and weary, and there's no water, and there's nothing to drink. In verses 5 to 8, it's a banquet. This is fogo de chow. It's all you can eat meat. And notice that he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And for many, especially within the 21st century, uh, fat doesn't sound appealing. Right? We think fat is bad, but in the Bible, fat is good. <laughs> right? Yeah, if, if you like to grill... Right, if you're a griller, if you're a smoker, this is that good marbling. This is a, a rich feast. And so David uses this imagery of a feast to depict how God has satisfied his soul. David is in the wilderness. He, he's far from the luxury of the palace. He's fleeing his life. He's tired. He's alone. And yet, he finds satisfaction in God. Right? Just as a five-course meal will satisfy your physical hunger, David says that it's God and God alone who could satisfy his spiritual hunger. He found his satisfaction 
in God. Is this true of us? Can we leave this morning being satisfied in God even if that thing I want doesn't happen? Even if I don't get that promotion? Even if I'm going through a difficulty? Even with loss and pain? Can I say with David that my soul is satisfied in God alone? Because the temptation is to seek satisfaction in the things of the world. First John says it's, it's the world and the flesh and the devil that, that tempts us to seek for satisfaction in all the wrong places. To follow after the nation of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 2 and instead of pursuing the fountain of living water, we pursue broken cisterns that can hold no water. Right? Every day we're, we're tempted to find our satisfaction in these broken cisterns when God has created us to find satisfaction, to find our delight in him alone, to have the cry of our hearts be like Augustine. Who, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you, O God. In his passionate pursuit of God, David experienced the one who is more satisfying than sex, who is more satisfying than money, who is more satisfying than power or acclaim or prosperity or luxury or popularity or even life itself. He found his satisfaction in God and God alone. And we see this throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul can say in Philippians 3.8, because he finds his satisfaction in God, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ in order that I may be satisfied in him, in order that I may come to the one who offers the water that satisfies my soul. And David's description of God satisfying his soul is then accompanied by another assertion that his lips will praise God. Look at verse 5. Here we see that David's delight leads to praise. Uh, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And notice specifically here how David's spiritual hunger was, was satisfied. Notice the, the, the means or the method by which David found his delight in God. His spiritual hunger is satisfied through meditating on God. Look at verse 6. He says, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. David remembers and he meditates. That word meditates, it's the same word used in Psalm 1 to describe the blessed man. Here, David's satisfaction and delight are the results of his meditation on the words and the promises of God. He clings to those treasures. He clings to those promises because he knows it's true. 
And so similarly for us, our delight, our satisfaction in God comes from our meditation upon his word. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 119 that your word is sweeter than honey. That it's better than gold. As we meditate on his truth, as we meditate on the promises found throughout the pages of scripture, as we read about the character and the nature of our God, we find our satisfaction in him. And in addition to the word of God, David then contemplates his personal experience of God's help. He says, I, I meditate on your word, but I also remember who you are and I remember what you have done. David recalls times when he's found warmth and protection and provision under the wings of the Lord. He says in verse 7, In the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. Dear Christian, have we not also experienced God's provision and protection? Can you not look back on, on the last year, five years, ten years of your life and seeing God's providential hand leading you and guiding you and protecting you? Oh, may, may his tender care, may, may his wings that we hide under lead us to praise him, to worship him for he is good. And the result of David finding satisfaction in God leads to verse 8. He says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The, the word clings, it means to, to stick to, to, to hold to, to pursue closely. This word is used in Genesis 2 to describe a husband and a wife cleaving to each other. David is clinging to God and he's utterly refusing to let go in his passionate pursuit of God. And why does David think he can, he can stay close to God? Why is he, he clinging to God? Verse 8, because your right hand upholds me. You see, it's God himself who makes it possible for David to cling to God. And the same is true of our faith today. Right? In, this, in this age of apostasy, in this age where people are, are deconstructing their faith, we must remember that we cling to God because God upholds us, that our commitment to God is only as strong as his commitment to us, that it is God who preserves and protects the believer. That we can only cling to God because his strong right hand will never let us go. Remember the words of Jesus. When he says in John chapter 10 that no one can snatch us from his hand. The promise in the gospel, one author wrote, is of a savior who holds his people so that no one can snatch them out of his hand. And so when doubt comes upon your mind, when, when it feels like you're never doing enough, that you're, you keep falling short of his commandments, dear Christian, rest in the finished work of Christ. Remember that it is God who upholds you, that it's not ultimately about how, how faithful we are, but it's how faithful God is, that he preserves us. And then in that, we passionately pursue God. In that, as Ryle says, we fight for holiness Remember, it's the power of God that will keep you. It's the love of God that will support you. And so when you find yourself in the wilderness, let the power of God 
and the love of God be the refuge for your soul. May you find satisfaction in him alone. So a passionate pursuit of God is characterized by a desire for God, a delight in God, and finally, a dependence on God. Here in, in verses 9 to 11, we're again reminded of David's situation. We're reminded that amidst all of, of this chorus of praise, amidst the joyful lips that David has, uh, amidst remembering and meditating uh, about praising God, amidst all of that, we come back to reality in a sense because in verse 9, he says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. He's under duress. His enemies want to take his life. And yet, David ends on a confident note. David, verse 11, rejoices Having recognized God's protective care, David now depends upon God to deliver him. David is confident that his enemies will not destroy him, but they themselves will meet a violent end. They will die in battle. They'll be given over to the power of the sword. They'll be consumed by jackals. It's a stark scene. A military battle and bodies killed and then laying there for the, the jackals, or your translation might say the, the foxes, to come in. But as a result of God's protection of David, he says in verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. What a stark contrast. The mouths of David's enemies, look at this, the mouths of David's enemies will be stopped. But David's mouth, in contrast, will be full of praise. The reality that, that God will protect David causes him to rejoice in God. And, and notice that David does not rejoice in the victory he rejoices in God. David's joy and his praise are not primarily in having deliverance and victory over his enemies. Rather, David's joy is in the God who wins the battle for him. And don't miss this point. All of the benefits that God gives us should cause us to worship but not to worship the benefits. Not to find our delight merely in the benefits, but rather, as we receive the benefit, we recognize from where the benefit came, from whom the benefit has come. The, the deliverance David receives causes him to rejoice in God. And the benefits that we receive ought to cause us to worship him. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift 
comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. All of the benefits that we receive come from God and so it's an opportunity to cause us to praise God. To praise God for the little things and to praise God for the big things. To recognize that everything that is good Every good and perfect gift comes from the hand of our heavenly Father, comes from the one who is the shadow that we stand under. And we cling to him. Not only is he our help, as David says, but he's also our provider. And so we don't think that this experience is only for the king of Israel. So we don't think that verse 11 is something that's exclusive to David. It says, all who swear by him shall exalt. This passionate pursuit of God and this satisfaction in God is not reserved for David alone, but for all who swear by him, for all who put their confidence in him. The psalm ends much like how the book of Psalms begins with two options. You either swear by him, swear by God, trusting in him, finding your satisfaction in him, or your mouth will be stopped. And so I ask you this morning, have you put your faith in Christ have you put your faith in Christ, trusting in him alone for your salvation? Do you passionately pursue God in order to find satisfaction in him alone? Or are you rejecting the fountain of living water and passionately pursuing broken cisterns that can hold no water, that will bring you no satisfaction? This morning, do not leave here without knowing, without talking to one of us, to know that you can have satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear believer, may this psalm point you daily to the satisfaction that is readily available in our Savior. And may we, like David, passionately pursue God. May we earnestly seek him as we seek for water, as we, may we seek after him as the one whose love is better than life, as the one who is better than anything and anything else in life. May we seek him and find our satisfaction in him and him alone. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we do come before you this morning. Lord, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful that in you we can have satisfaction. That while the world promises satisfaction in, in many other things, that your word instructs us that, that they are but broken cisterns that hold no water. But that we can run 
to Jesus Christ and find satisfaction in him and him alone, that we, like David, can thirst after God and our souls can be satisfied because your love, O oh God, is better than life itself. Father, convict us from these words. Lord, help us by your spirit know how we can grow to identify the sin that we're to put off and, and to put on the fruit of your spirit by your grace, Lord. May we be encouraged as we remember your steadfast love is better than life and may we leave today passionately pursuing you for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.